Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. John 9, 1 through 3 says this, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So this is, again, people are coming up with these theories like, well, if this, if this kid was born blind, then he must have sinned or his parents must have sinned. And Jesus answered this, and he says, and this is where we, kinda, we, we can kind of take this scripture the wrong way, because Jesus said, neither this man or his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And we'll take that scripture and we'll say, see there, God made that kid be born blind so that he could reveal his good works in him. No, the fact that we are born into a sinful world and genetics can be uh, messed up and altered and different things by, by, by moving into this natural world and because of the effects that sin have on us, people are born blind. But Jesus, what he's saying is, what, watch this, even though he was born blind, I'm about to use his blindness for the glory of God. And I'm gonna show you how good God is, amen? We have to break the bad theology in our hearts that God does all these things that cause brokenness in our lives for some spiritual reason or to punish or teach us a lesson and recognize that he is a God that is good and that he is a restoring God and that he is a uh, recreating God, that he's a God of newness, he's a God of health, he's a God of prosperity, he's a God of salvation. Exodus 34, 6, it says, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And you say, and I've got a couple more scriptures, but you say, how do I break this brokenness in my life? And what you do is, rather than trying to come up with doctrines and theories of your own, you go to the word and get, your, get the word of God to renew your mind on this. You, you go to the word of God and you let the word of God tell you who God is. Don't let the circumstances of this world and the enemy and people with all these different doctrines and theories as to why things happen to people tell you who God is. You let God's word tell you who God is, amen? And right there it says the Lord God is merciful and he's gracious and he's long-suffering and he's abounding in goodness and truth. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, oh, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And Psalm 145, 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. I think we probably could have went another week on just that series there, but that was last week. But this is what we we want to get into this week, and it's called Breaking Perfection. And I'm just going to get really straight to the point here, because I have to get straight to the point so that I I can also get you to where we need to be. But the point of tonight is in and of yourself. Now, hear that. In and of yourself, you have never been, nor will you ever be perfect while you're standing in the flesh that you're in. In and of yourself, you've never been, nor will you ever be perfect standing in that flesh that you're in. The day you come to grips with that fact is the day that you can stop trying to live I don't want to make anybody mad, but listen, because this is going to help you. This is not about making you mad. This is about freeing you. But the day that you come to grips with with this fact 
is the day that you can stop trying to live a self-righteous life and start living a truly righteous life. When you are simply trying to do everything right and trying to appear perfect, trying to appear as if you don't struggle, as if you don't have, as if you have maybe little to no faults in your life, this is what happens. You begin to live in a world of compromise because you have to compromise, you have to justify to maintain the perfection that you think you're in. Would anybody agree with that? Because when you do something that you've also told someone else is not right, we do this with our kids, right? How many of you have ever done something and your kids saw you do something that you told the kid they didn't need to do? And what do you say? Don't do as I do, do as I say, right? And, and, and this can bleed over, and I understand that to a degree, but when you live this life where you're just trying to appear perfect, or you're trying to appear as if you don't struggle, you're trying to appear as if you have little to no faults, you begin to live in a world of compromise. You begin to live in a world of self-justification, and then you begin to shift blame to others to make yourself feel more perfect. That's the danger of self-righteousness. No one wants to appear weak. I don't want to appear weak. I don't like appearing weak. No one wants to admit they have faults. Nobody likes to let anybody see them struggle or have shortcomings. But did you know that God is not surprised nor is he bothered by your shortcomings? I said God's not surprised and he's not bothered by your shortcomings. You know when God becomes bothered by you? It's when you go to playing the part of self-righteous. It's when you go to playing the part of the perfect person who has everything under control. Then that's the issue. That's the issue with God. That's why Jesus had so much issue with religious leaders of his day. And that's why he had so much patience with the people like the woman that was caught in adultery. Remember her? He had so much patience with her and so little patience with the self-righteous religious leaders of that day. I just wrote this down. The day you don't have any more need for mercy, the day you don't have any more need for grace, the day you don't have any more need for salvation because you've achieved some um, personal view of goodness is the day that you don't have any more need for Jesus. Is that a fair statement? The day you don't access grace anymore, the day you say, I don't really need to access his mercy anymore, I don't, I don't ask for his grace anymore, I don't ask for his mercy anymore, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a good old boy, I'm just pretty good. Well, that's the day you've decided you don't need Jesus anymore. Matthew, the ninth chapter, nine through 13. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, 
one thing you need, to, you need to realize about tax collectors in that day, and the reason why he's lumped in there is because they, from, from everything that I read, they're pretty much the scum of the earth. I mean, they, they, they were. And I, I'm, you know, I, I, wanted, I was thinking about this today. Has anybody ever met a modern day tax collector? You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if they're real. I think they just house them up there and they tell you they're there and they'll tell you, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. But I don't know, like I know you go to a tax office and I know that there's people in, in politics and all this stuff, but, but these were real people that really took your money. And if you didn't pay, they came to find you like the mafia. And so Matthew is one of these guys and then he's got buddies. And so Jesus is passing through there and he saw this man named Matthew sitting in the tax office and he said to him, follow me. And so he rose and followed him. And now it happened as Jesus sat at, at the table um, in the house that behold, many tax collectors. So a bunch of them came up and just various sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So the, the religious people of that day were completely against them because they're, they're getting taxed like crazy from them. And so they, they probably spoke against them. They probably preached against them. They, they treated them like the scum of the earth. And some of them probably were. And then here's Jesus seemingly ignoring the religious people of the day but hanging out with the people that are the most detested. And of course, people who want to live a, a bad and a wrong, this is what happens today, and this is a side note, but people who want to live a wrong and a bad life, they go, well, Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners, went down to the bar and hung out with them. They're just using that as an excuse to live bad. Jesus wasn't. Jesus was using it as a way to minister to these people because nobody showed these people love. The religious leaders of the day they demanded honor. They demanded that you bow to them. But these sinners and these tax collectors, they got grief every single day. Nobody was nice to them. Nobody honored them. And so Jesus saw an opportunity to show these people love and mercy. And so he's sitting there with them and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus said, if you're, if you're well, you don't need a physician. But those who are sick, they need a physician. Verse 13 says, but go and learn what this means. And he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So he tells them, I hear what you're saying. I hear your heart. And if you're not sick and you don't need mercy and you don't need grace and you don't need salvation, then I didn't come for you. But I, I did come for those that are sick and I did come for those who are in need of mercy and grace and salvation. And I want you to go and learn what I'm saying here. I want you to go and figure out what I mean when I say I'm desiring mercy and not sacrifice. And what he was saying there is, it doesn't matter how much you've sacrificed to look religious that's not what the Father's looking for, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who know they need mercy. It says, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if you're not sick, you have no need of his healing. If you're not a sinner, you have no need of his righteousness. 
But there's a big but in there. We all know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this was a, a facetious answer. As Jesus, what he's saying is, you may not realize that you're sick and in need of healing. You may not realize that you're a sinner and in need of saving. But these have recognized and realized that they need it. So if you're not sick, you have no need of his healing. If you're not a sinner, you have no need of his righteous. But we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And I think most of us understand this. Before the day that we surrender to Jesus and accept him as our Lord and Savior, that day that we proclaim is our salvation day. We all understood that because that's why we got saved, that somebody stood and preached or somebody talked to you, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe your pastor. And we all understood that we had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all understood that and we understood that Jesus was the only way, that we had to receive Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we, we understood that the day leading up to salvation, but, but somewhere between the day, that day and today, we can slip back into the habit of acting perfect or projecting Christian perfection. Just because we got saved by Jesus that day, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, five years ago, five months ago, doesn't mean that we can't slip back into the habit of going, well, now I publicly profess that I'm a Christian, so now I've got to, I know I'm not perfect. <laughs> I know I'm not doing everything right. But what are people going to think? Because I said I'm a Christian and I go to church and they see my car in the parking lot and I'm associated with, um, with, with, with Christianity. And so I got to put up some kind of something because if people knew the real me, they wouldn't think that I was saved anymore on some cases. And that's the, I think that's the thing. We rank our sinning and we think that I'm not doing so bad. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a prostitute. And we rank those, those things. And so we kind of can tend to get ourselves in a place where, well, if I just got to keep a little facade up, then, then I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty perfect. And, and, you know, Jesus saved me and, and um, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. In reality... We may think that this is just a new way of, of living the Christian life. Of, I'm not perfect, but I don't want anybody to think I'm not perfect. So I, but in reality, this is the same old self-righteousness that we used to cloak ourselves in before salvation. It's the same. As Christians... We are perfect. As Christians, we are perfect. But not with a humanistic, self-made perfection. So this is where, where it might get confusing, but just hang on with me. If you're saved, you are perfect. But not because you have projected something perfect. You're perfect because of what the Word of God says in Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Another translation says those who are being sanctified. He has made, so let's read it. For by one sacrifice, meaning Jesus' sacrifice, 
he made you perfect forever, those who are being made holy. So what does that mean? Well, that means the day that you did say yes to Jesus, the day that you did get saved, then he made you perfect. But a lot of times our actions, our thoughts, and all those things that go along with being human and having flesh don't always match up to his perfection. But that's not for you to begin to act self-righteous to show people that it took, you know what I mean? Salvation took, so I'm really trying to show people that it took. No, no, no. He made you perfect, but then it goes on. It says those that he made perfect through his sacrifice that you're being made holy. So what is that? That's that pursuit of that sanctified life, that holy life. So I'm not saying that, that because he made you perfect, but yet in reality you can't be perfect in your flesh, it means that you don't do anything. It means that because he's made me perfect already through what Jesus did, now I can do what the word of God says and I can begin to lay down the, the sins and the weights that so easily beset me. I can begin to walk in the word of God. I can begin to let my mind be renewed by the word of God. And there is that sanctification process. And yes, as you move through the years of being a Christian, through the days, months, and years, there's a sanctification process that comes and you should be a little bit closer to looking like Jesus than you were when you started, right? But it's not a fake thing. It's not a, I'm putting up, I'm building up this wall, this facade so nobody sees what's really going on because when you do that, you begin to compromise. When you do that, you begin to, uh, to, to live this life of, I got to ha hold this stuff up. No, no, we're not, we're not holding up anything. We're, we're, we're sitting here saying, I, I still have got things to work on. I'm still being made holy, but through Jesus, I've been made perfect. God looks at me and he sees perfection, not because of the things that I'm doing or not doing, but because of the thing that Jesus did. And because of that, it makes me want to pursue a holy life. I want to be holy as he is holy. I don't want to say, look, God, I can, I can really make people, I can really fool people into, into, into uh, saying that, man, he's really a holy person. He's really a righteous person. No, I'm not concerned about what people say. I'm concerned about what you see. And I'm concerned that you see my heart. And I'm concerned that you see that I'm not trying to, to fake anything, but I truly believe that you have perfected me and now I'm pursuing your word and I'm being led by your spirit so that I can be holy like you're holy. Not to impress anybody, but to honor you with my life. Is this okay? As Christians, we are righteous, but not with a self-made rule-following righteousness. As Christians, we are righteous, but not with a self-made rule-following righteousness. The Pharisees followed the rules. As far as anybody knew, they followed the rules to a T. Paul said he was perfect concerning the law. That's not, that's not the perfection we were just talking about. That was actual perfection. Paul made a bold statement saying, I have never not done the law. Perfect concerning the law. Yet he began to realize me being perfect in the law will never make me perfect with God. Only Jesus can make me perfect with God. Paul, or Jesus said, told the Pharisees when they were trying to <laughs> exude their perfectness over him and trying to 
put him, looked down on him. He said, you guys, you guys are like tombs. You're like whitewashed tombs. He said, you're beautiful on the outside, ornate on the outside. He said, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Meaning, you can dress up the outside as perfect as you want it to be, but on the inside, you're still dead unless I make you alive. Amen? So as Christians, we are made righteous, but not with a righteous, not with a self-made rule-following righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you guys ought to know this one, but we'll, we'll read it anyway. For he made him, that means God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we have to break the perfect in our lives by living honestly with ourselves and honestly with our God. That's the key. It's not about, because you can take this one of two ways, and neither would be right. It's not about going out and faking a Christian life, and yet it's still not about going out and, and walking around telling everybody all your shortcomings and problems, right? Because you have, you have camps that'll do that. Like, well, you're not really, really being a real Christian unless you go around telling everybody your faults and problems. And This is about me and my God. This is about living honestly with myself and living honestly with God and not trying to project something for you. Amen? So we have to live honestly with ourselves and honestly with our God, coming boldly before the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and help in a time of need. That's what it means to be living honestly with God. I'm not outgrown. I've not outmatured the need for God's mercy, the need for God's grace, the need for salvation. Say, God saves you every single day. No, he saved me once, but he's continually saving me. He saved me from hell once, but he's continually rescuing me, continually saving me. So I'll close here. It'll take me a little while to close, so don't get excited. So what are we talking about here? Are we talking about we got to walk around as worthless, sinful worms? You know, I've, I've heard that theology too. I remember one time there was a kid, and he meant well. Um, he's a grown man now. I think he became a worship leader or anything. But he, he would come from a local church from around here. And we would have these big youth rallies and stuff. And, and he was very passionate about God. He, his heart was in the right place. But um, you could tell he had a need to be seen. And any time, and, and of course, you're just thankful that a kid wants to get up and do anything, so you, we would let him. But I remember one time, it was like, does, does anybody want to pray or whatever? And so, man, he grabbed the microphone and he started praying this prayer. God, we're just worthless worms, not worthy of, you know. He, he just did the whole worthless worm theology, right? No, we're not worthless, sinful worms, as children of God. Now, if you're a sinner, I'm not saying you're worthless, you're not worthless to God, you actually are the most expensive thing to God. At the same time, your, 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 your life is worth nothing until Jesus is in it. But no, we're not worthless, sinful worms. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're not worthless, sinful worms. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, everything's become new. We're the beloved in Christ Jesus. 
We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're seated together with him in heavenly places. That doesn't sound like worthless, sinning worms to me. That sounds like loved children with purpose. Amen? So what's the difference in walking in self-righteous perfection and true right standing with God, forgiven and set free? What's the difference? What does that look like? What does the difference look like in someone who is walking around in a self-righteousness? Because we've said it's not about us projecting some kind of self-righteous life to make you believe that, that we're good people. And it's also not about walking around and having to disclose to everybody our deepest, darkest things that we're working on and dealing with. It's about living honestly with ourselves and living honestly with our God. But what's really the difference? What's the deciding factor in someone who's walking around in self-righteousness and some kind of perfection uh, thing that, you know, and that, and then the true right standing with God forgiven and set free. And it's, it's one word, humility. True humil- humility. Someone who has got true humility is someone who is not walking around in a, in a self-righteous, perfectionist type mi- a mindset of I've got to show people how perfect I am. And I've got to show them I'm, I'm, a true, I'm a true Christian. And then someone who is really standing in the true right standing with God. When you think, so let's, let's dig into that a little bit. When you think you're the cause of your goodness, when you begin, begin to believe your own press, when you think you're the cause of your own success, the cause of your own goodness, you'll be arrogant. You'll be judgmental. You'll be unforgiving and you'll be unloving. This is the the key traits to someone who is not walking humbly with their God, someone who is not digging into their self because if you will not live honestly with yourself and honestly with God, the only thing that you have have to do is you have to look at everybody else and what they're not doing and what they should be doing. And so when you're doing that, you're you're gonna be an arrogant person you're gonna be a judgmental person, you're gonna be an unforgiving person, you're gonna be an unloving person. When you know how much that you've been forgiven and are continuing to be forgiven, there's great humility. Great humility. There's forgiveness. There's understanding. There's patience and a desire to see others receive the free gift of salvation and forgiveness that you've received. That's, the, that's some of the major differences I can see. I'm sure there's a lot more. But that one word, humility. If, if I'm feeling arrogance rise up in me, if I'm feeling like I'm being very judgmental about everybody else and what they need to be doing and they need to come up to my standard and this, that, and the other, what that tells me is I'm not looking at myself anymore. I'm looking at everybody else and I'm judging everybody else. When, when what other people do make me mad, think, think about this. The Pharisees were mad at Jesus. They were mad at his disciples because of what they viewed as not what you should be doing. They were following Jesus' disciples around everywhere they went. Wait a minute, how come your disciples didn't wash their hands when they ate today? 
Oh, wait a minute. How come you saved uh, or you healed somebody on the Sabbath? Hey, wait a minute. How come you're sitting with, with tax collectors and sinners? What? They couldn't see their self because they were so arrogant. They weren't living honestly. They weren't living in humility. And they weren't walking in honesty with their, themselves and with God. Luke 7. I love this story. 36 through 48. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So this is a Pharisee asked, Jesus, come to my house. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. So was Jesus only eating with tax collectors and sinners? No. The Pharisee said, hey, I want to feed you. He obliged. He went. He sat down to eat and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee had who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself saying, now he didn't say it out loud, he spoke to himself. And he says, this man, if he were really a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. She's a prostitute. If Jesus really was who he says he was, there's no way a man of great spiritual power and authority would allow such a sinner to be, he's thinking this to himself, he's saying to himself, and Jesus answered and said to him, so he spoke up, he said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. You know, Jesus has got something to say to self-righteous people, if you'll listen. And this is what he says, because he said, well, he, so he said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, in today's money, I don't know what 500 denarii and 50 is, but I know that 500 is a lot more than 50. Apparently, it was a lot. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. It didn't matter. He didn't just forgive the guy with 50 and say, well, now, 50, I'll forgive you, but 500, I'm not. And he says, no, I forgave them both. And then Jesus says, tell me, talking to Simon the Pharisee, he says, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, so he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Turned to the woman, he said to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears. Now back then they obviously wore sandals as far as what we know. The streets were dusty and dirty. And so it was commonplace when you went to somebody's house, 
they would offer you a way to wash your feet. This Pharisee invited Jesus into his home and he didn't even do the, the, the proper customs. He says, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her own head. You gave me no kiss. And that was common greeting. That was a, a welcome into my home. I'm glad we did away with that one. If we hadn't, if COVID would have. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. So she wasn't kissing Jesus the way that you would greet somebody with a holy kiss. She was down on her hands and knees kissing his dirty feet that she had just washed with her own tears. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. That, I think they, somebody said it would have been like a whole year's wage. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. He didn't say that she wasn't a sinner. He said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, here's the twist. What we think is, that the Pharisee didn't have much to be forgiven, but the woman of the night had much to be forgiven, so therefore she loved more than the Pharisee because she had more to be forgiven of. But what Jesus is really trying to bring out, it was a, it was a jab at him because what he was saying is, you think that you don't have much to be forgiven for, so therefore you didn't treat me the way she treated me, but she's very honest with herself and knows that she has a lot to be forgiven for and she's been forgiven and so she loves much because she understands how much she was forgiven. And we may not have done the things that we've, we've, we've read and we've seen and we've heard. We may not have done the things that maybe our own brothers or sisters have done. We may have not have done the things that some of the own people that we go to church have done that we've heard about or we've seen about. But I am here to tell you every single person has been forgiven much. And we have to love much. We can never get into this place where we think we don't have much to be forgiven for and we're walking in our own self-righteousness. We're walking in our own type of perfection. Verse 48 says, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So I got a couple of questions and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Well, really just one. Are you a self-made Christian? Like you would be a self, you know, we, we talk about self-made men. I'm a self-made man. And that may be honorable when it comes to natural things. But if we're not careful, just like we found a way to be a self-made man or woman, we can think we're a self-made Christian. There's nothing self-made about my Christianity. I'm, I'm gonna be humble right here before you and say, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have been able to make it. I'm not a self-made Christian. I didn't make this, I didn't do this. And I, there's still a whole lot of work to be done. Are you a self-made Christian or do you daily recognize your frailty without Jesus? Break that perfect Christian mindset and go after the righteousness that we have in Christ. Love because you were first loved. Forgive because you have been forgiven. 
Reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ because someone reached out to you and recognized that you needed what they needed in Christ. And I just wrote these last couple of things. Live with a pure heart, not being hindered and distracted by, because I want to wrap this whole series up. Live with a pure heart. Don't be distracted by and hindered by busyness. Put that in check. Break busyness on your life. Don't be hindered and distracted by chasing after money and riches. Break that in your life if it's there. I've been chasing it, but I ain't been catching much of it. Don't be hindered and distracted and held down by circumstances and brokenness that comes to you in this life. Recognize that Jesus can deliver you out of that and he can bring glory in those situations. In unglorious situations, he can bring that. But the longer you allow it to hinder you and distract you, the longer you, you won't be able to move on and do what he's called you to do. And the last one is don't be hindered and distracted by living a fake religious life that leads to a powerless facade. That's what it'll lead to, a powerless facade. A form, the Bible says in these last days that people will have a form of godliness but lacking power. A form, that's a facade. Anybody ever spent a bucket load or two of money at Disney World? It's all a facade. Anybody ever seen the lights on at Space Mountain? There's nothing in there. Nothing in there. It's a facade. It's a beautiful facade. The castle that all little girls dream about living in, it's paper mache. It's good paper mache, but that's it. I mean, they were working on it when we were there, so we really got to see it in all its non-glory. But that's how a Christian can build a self-righteous Christianity, a self-made Christianity, and just by putting up these powerless facades. So break these bad doctrines in your life before they break you. And I know I went to some of the extremes on these, and you may not be in the extremes, I may not be in the extremes, but, but every single one of these, I, I, I saw myself in, in portions and parts of this. Where I don't, I, that's the whole point of this, breaking these things in our life before they break us. So we may not, uh, uh, us in here or people listening or whatever, you may not be at that point where it's, it's broken you that far, where you've gotten to that place where you just completely has messed you up, but you can see the beginning workings of some of these bad doctrines, these bad theologies. It just kind of can creep into our life. So let, that, let the word of God in this series expose that so that you can begin to start breaking those off of your life. Amen? Is that good? I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.